morning, good morning. We are glad you are here. We are glad you are here. If we worshiped a little bit harder and a little bit more excited, if you are new with us, please forgive us. It's been our week of prayer and fasting, and we've been seeking the Lord our week, and we have been hearing from the Lord, and we're just a little more excited to worship Him. Amen? Those of you that were participated and were in it. All right, we have one announcement, and this is what it is. At the end of the month, the last Saturday, January 25th at 9 a.m. is a all-volunteer training breakfast. That will be here. Great food. Hang out with people that you love. Training, getting better as a church. We're getting better. Amen? That's a biblical principle. We're getting better. Let me show you the health of a church. Are you ready? Watch this. If you do something in this church and do not just attend, raise your hand. <laughs> Amen. That's great statistics. I love it. I love it. And we have members that are not here that volunteer. Babe, did you raise your hand? Okay, I didn't see it. I was like, you need to raise your hand. <laughs> I mean, you edited this last night. <laughs> I have typos, so she's like, I don't think that comma goes there. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here, as I said. That is our one announcement. Save it, and uh, please attend. It's going to be a great Saturday. All right. We started a series called Seek. A series called Seek, because we're God seekers. That's what we do, not just the beginning of the year, every year. And as I said, this was our week of prayer and fasting. We were seeker this, seekers this week. Let me tell you how we sought the Lord this week. Six days of committed prayer meetings over a seven-day, a week of prayer and fasting, seven different prayer meetings, 71 man hours minimum, 71 man hours of prayer, worship, and Bible reading happened just in this room on a minimum this week alone. Come on. We were seeking him. That's stats right there. Those are called statistics. They don't lie. I like that. Of people worshiping and seeking God, the most important of that, though, is God came to us, and he spoke to us and gave us revelation. Many of you have testimonies about God heard them in small groups, talking. The Lord spoke something to me about my life, spoke, directing us, loving us, leading us. Well, let's look how he did it as we honor the word of God. We worship Jesus, our Savior. We honor the word. Second Chronicles 11. Second Chronicles 11, 1 through 4, let me set this up. Solomon has just died. The kingdom of Israel is split in two between the south, his son, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and a man called Jeroboam, who was an, uh, from the tribe of Ephraim. It was prophesied that the kingdom would split to the ten northern tribes and the two southern. So Jeroboam and Rehoboam have the two separate sides. So we're going to pick this up in verse... One, I'm in the wrong book. That's why it looked funny. There we go. I know what I'm doing. It's all right. I'll get to it. In verse one, when Jeroboam, excuse me, when Rehoboam is getting ready to take back the land, there's been a horrible civil war. We understand that in our history, right? A horrible one. And he is going to force and say, all right, I'm going to conquer Israel, those other tribes, and I'm going to take this all back and bring us back together. And he has assembled a lot of people. Let's pick it up right here. Verse 1, now when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 choice men with, who were warriors to fight against Israel that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shimei, the man of God, saying, 
Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and tell all Israel and Judah, in, in Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. Rehoboam's reign was about to be quick. Instead of choosing pride because he got the whole group together, got everyone in their Sunday fighting clothes, they got them all together, and it's all on him, but he humbled himself when he heard the word of the Lord, and he said, okay, I'm going to relent. I'm going to listen to God. He humbles himself. He sends them all back home grumbling and upset because when you tell a man there's going to be a fight and there's not one, he just gets upset. Tell a man there's a football game on at noon and it gets canceled, he's mad, right? So where it happens every time, even in Israel. So this is the picture of what has just happened. So let's pick it up in verse 13. So what's the result of this humbling, seeking God, obeying the voice of God? What is the result? Here it is. And from all their territories, territories, the priests and the Levites who were in Israel, who were in all Israel, took their stand with him, with Rehoboam. For the Levites had left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. They came all the way down south. Oh, they came down south. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. Then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, from, for the demons, and for the calf idols which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah, and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. Now let's learn something new from the word of God. We've got our notes right here. This is our main text. Let's look at this. The first thing we see in verse 13 is that from all the territories in the north, the priests and the Levites, all the spiritual leaders of the north said, this, this Jeroboam doesn't want to serve the God of Israel. He doesn't want to have spiritual covering. He doesn't want us to be in charge, even though God Almighty put the Levites in charge. He doesn't want them to be. All right. We're not going to revolt. We're a humble people. We don't, we don't pick up swords and start fighting. We're God's people. We're going to go to where God is. We're going to go to where God-fearing people are. We're going down to the south to Jerusalem. There's a great principle here. Because Rehoboam submitted to God, even though he had collected all those people, and it was humbling, it may have hurt his pride for sure, and hurt his reputation to obey that prophet and not go to war. It caused all those spiritual leaders to come to him and cover Judah and Benjamin with a spiritual covering. It caused all that health, all those people that were in the word of God and sacrificing in the worship of the Lord. All those people came down and gathered themselves around Rehoboam in a wonderful, beautiful picture. Number one on your notes. God will always provide spiritual covering for people who seek him. 
me ask you a question. Do you have spiritual covering? Wives, your husbands is your spiritual covering. Kids, your parents are your spiritual covering. I have multiple spiritual coverings. I have three overseers that cover me in my life. I have people in this church that cover me in prayer. There's spiritual coverings in your life. This is a foreign concept to many in the world. To be under submission, to be undercover, and to be spiritually covered. But here it is right here in the Bible, and it caused Judah to be strengthened. It calls the young Rehoboam as he's getting ready to, to, um, to lead. It causes covering to come over him and the whole area prospers. I want to show you a couple other people that it was a life-changing thing for them that they were spiritually covered. First Samuel 19, 18. Y'all know the story of David. He has a father-in-law and they don't get along. You talk, you had family problems. I mean, his father-in-law is trying to kill him in his own bed. And his, his wife gets him to, lets him sneak out. And what happens is right here, when he leaves the, uh, the, the kingdom, when he leaves the house of Saul, this is the first thing he does. It's a very important spiritual principle. The first thing he does when his covering Saul turns on him, this is what he does. So David fled and escaped. And where did he go? He went to where? He went to Samuel, the spiritual leader of the area. He went to Samuel at Ramah. And he told him all that Samuel had done to him, to Saul had done to him. And he said, and he and Samuel went and they stayed. They went to the house of uh, Samuel in that town. See, the first thing David did was say, oh, my goodness, I'm out here all by myself. I came under the house of Saul and he turned on me. And instead of becoming a rebel and instead of becoming a prodigal, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find a man of God that I can get under. This is the Bible throughout all from the beginning to the end. God will always provide spiritual covering for people who are seeking him and seeking it. So we need to seek it in our lives. Amen. Let's look at one more uh, picture of it. Ruth chapter 1, 15 through 17. You know the story. We got two godly a couple, there's a famine in the land. They got a couple of kids. They take off to Moab because there's food in Moab. And there's a famine in the land. So their two sons grow up in Moab where they marry two Moabites. The famine ends, and the, the sad part is both of the sons die and the husband dies. So you got two daughter-in-laws and a mother-in-law, Naomi, Ruth, and one more that I can't remember the name of. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> and so... The one daughter-in-law, Naomi, is bitter. She's angry. She says, just go home. Go to your family. Go back to Moab. And one leaves, and she goes. But the second will not. Ruth, chapter 1, 15. Look at this closely. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. And what do the next four words say? And to her gods. To her spiritual covering. She's gone back to the way she lived. She was under this godly house with us, but no more. She's gone back to her gods, plural, her false gods, her false religion, the way she used to live. It's very important words in the Bible. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said to her, you find Ruth in the book of Matthew because she's in the line of Jesus for her faith, for her covering. Entreat me not to leave you 
or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. This is some spiritual covering. Your people shall be my people and your what? God. The one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His name is Jesus. He hung on the cross and he saved us from our sins. Amen? If we come to him, that God, your God will be, I'm coming under your spiritual umbrella. I'm coming under it. I don't understand a lot. I grew up in Moab. I've seen you serve the Lord, but I'm going to come under it because I got enough sense to know that you're true, that what you have is right. Your God, your people be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts us. People don't talk like that anymore. But if you want to be in the line of Jesus, we're going to talk like that. I should say people in the world. We do. I've been hanging out with you guys all week. (laughs) Some people I've seen every single day this week because prayer. They came to every single meeting. Spiritual covering in your life is essential. If it was essential for King David, the warrior king, if it was essential for Ruth, it is essential to us. Amen? It's essential to us in our life that we are covered. And I want to, te- see, I want to show you the product of spiritual covering 20 years later. And it is a testimony from my wife who grew up in a very uncovered area in the United States, Reno, Nevada, which is a physical desert and a spiritual desert being one of the most un-Christian places in all of America, correct? It is consistently ranked, yes, when they do all the studies, as one of the most unchurched counties or cities or however they're doing the study in all of America, yes. So when Stephen asked me to share this testimony, I started thinking back on how much I had craved, consistently craved spiritual covering throughout my life and my childhood. And growing up in Reno, there wasn't a lot of it, either in the the area itself or in my own family. I was the only Christian, I I was an only child, and really the only Christian. I came to know the Lord through my school, and I would go home to my very unsaved parents, and it was a difficult place to grow up in. I often felt alone and like I was uncovered, and about 12 years old, I started going to church and got involved in the church community for the first time. I was enjoying that community and getting to know my youth pastor and for the first time feeling like I was part of a, a community and had that covering. And a couple years into that, my youth pastor had a moral failure and that kind of fell apart. And so I went to another church and fast forward a few years into that church and that uh, senior pastor had an affair with the youth pastor's wife. And so my two families that were just, I was the closest to them in that church, completely crumbled. And of course, that church completely fell apart. And again, I found myself alone and um, experiencing really just what was common in Reno. That's kind of the common uh, spiritual atmosphere. So I went to another church and long story short, got involved, fast forward a few years. And again, that church completely crumbled. And I often found myself without that spiritual covering of a pastor or anyone in my family. But God is faithful to provide. And I did have one. I had a few, actually. But one I want to brag on today, and you can put that picture up, is Dan and Janelle Thornton. These were 
just God send, um, a God send family in my life. When I went to that first church at 12 years old, Dan was not yet married. He was young in his 20s and he was a children's pastor. And I was about 11 or 12 and he did an outreach on Saturday mornings to low income kids. And so it was this big event and my dad got interested in that. And so we would go and we would help him and we quickly got to know him and he just loved on our family. And so he ends up meeting Janelle and getting married and I clung to them. And they were just an example of a godly marriage. And they let me watch them do life and, and be faithful in their service to the Lord. And you can tell that their kids don't look anything like them. They struggled through many miscarriages and years of infertility and ended up adopting an adorable girl from China. She was in our wedding and then um, they adopted another Samoan little boy. And so this family just welcomed me in and they let me talk about silly things that teenage girls talk about. And I would talk about boys to them and I would talk about the struggles in my own family. My dad did end up getting saved at 12 years old, but he had some ups and downs and I, I needed somebody to talk to. And they were the only Christian couple I can truly say the only Christian couple in my entire life that I, growing up, that I had as an example. And at 23 years old, when I met Stephen, they were the only example of a couple that had stayed married, married, even within the church and my pastoral couples that I had looked up to. And so when I meet Stephen on the mission field, and there's this crazy guy that I've known for two weeks, and then he says, you know, I want to fly to Reno and pursue you in a relationship for marriage. No, it wasn't. It was two. <laughs> we, then there were like four weeks of not talking in between. Anyway, so this is my testimony. I got the mic. Um, <laughs> so when this crazy guy, you know, says, I want to marry you, and I have no idea what that looks like except for Dan and Janelle, let me tell you that they were the couple. I said, hey, when he flies here, can he stay in your home? And I want you to grill him and find out if he's crazy or if he's the real deal. Help me out. And I chose to submit myself to their authority. And I'm telling you that if they would have said he was crazy, I wouldn't be married to him today. I submitted myself to their authority. And in many areas, we talked about schooling and jobs and different things. And so just a side note, young people, I want to tell you that especially when it's time to get married, find spiritual authority that you will choose to submit yourself under. under. Um, and not just in those younger years. We actually, as a young married couple, continued to submit ourselves to Dan and Janelle. There were times that we would call them up and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this situation? And we valued their opinion. There's still a spiritual covering in my life. And as Stephen said, we have spiritual covering, other spiritual covering. As a church, we have spiritual covering. And it is such a blessing when you choose to submit yourself to spiritual authority and you say, I really will allow you to speak into my life and I'm going to listen to you. The Lord is faithful to provide it. It didn't look how I expected it or it wasn't, it didn't come from the avenues I would have thought it came from in my life, but he, the Lord was faithful to provide it because I desired it. And it was such a blessing and a protection in my life to have that spiritual covering. I'm going to tell you, I flew in late that night, and I stayed at their house. Breakfast morning was interview morning. She wasn't even there. They made breakfast for me, and he set me down, and he was nice. They were cordial. They were nice, and they started asking questions. Now, I was interviewing, too. 
Now, that's not true. I'd heard it from the Lord already. <laughs> but I tell you, when I knew that that was her spiritual covering, that she was submitted to them, and that they cared so deeply about her, I thought, now praise God, this is someone who understands the principle of spiritual covering. And I got two thumbs up. Amen. That was like 15 years ago, right, babe? It was not two weeks, okay? <laughs> I have a sermon to finish. Let's go. No, don't turn her mic off. Hey, <laughs> you back there. We were on the mission field for no. <laughs> two weeks, and then there were four weeks in between. So technically it was six, but we only spent two weeks together. I deal in, we are way off. I am so sorry. I, this is like almost, y'all like this is a front porch conversation. This is not church. It was six weeks. Exactly. Technically, six weeks. Like I said, from the beginning. <laughs> you need to be quicker back there, okay? Let's turn, turn it off. <laughs> All right. We're right here. If we can, if we can possibly save this thing. <laughs> Verse 14, not only does it talk about spiritual covering and the importance of it. Look at verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 11. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. Wow. We talk about the New Testament being people of great faith. We talk about the faith movement and stepping out. We talk about the missionaries who, you know, step out and just said, God, I'm going to go. And, and they would pack all their stuff in a coffin and leave. And when they would come back, it would just be their bodies. The rest of them were in, they were in heaven. But I'm going to tell you, that is a great faith right there. That is a faith filled. We're packing it up. We got to pack up kids and everything else. We are going. This is what the Lord has told us to do. And we're going to obey the Lord. We're God's people. We're priests and Levites. And we serve him and we obey him. It doesn't matter what it is. Come on, amen? Don't think of New Testament faith, every single one of them. This is their father Abraham's faith right here. We follow the living God. Number two on your notes. Faith-filled actions are the lifestyle of God-seekers. It's not a one-time thing. It's not an every once in a while. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It is a lifestyle. We get up every morning and we say, the living God, I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God. I'm going to be led by the Word of God. Here I am. I'm a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, Lord. I want you to use me. Come on, a living sacrifice. That's who we are. Faith-filled actions are our lifestyle. It's the way we live day to day. Let me give you a historical example of this. Look at this picture right here. It's about 100 years old, so you're going to have to look close. Without Googling it, without Googling it, if you know who that is and you can guess their first and last name, you get a free lunch. There is a very small hint. Well, I gave one with about 100 years old. There's a very small hint in the picture, but it's a tough one. It's like a final Jeopardy. It's like a Final Jeopardy tournament of champions. <laughs> that is Kate Booth, her full name, Catherine Katie Booth, the oldest child of William and Catherine Booth, who started the Salvation Army. It's one of the greatest evangelical works the world had ever seen. That is a picture of her in her 20s. Let me give you her, her brief life history. She lived 96 years, but let me give you a certain part of it. 
She was the oldest child. By the time she was 12 years old, she was so um, versed in the Bible that she was teaching her own Sunday school class. By the time she was 17 years old, she had such an ability to speak and communicate that her father would have her intro his crusades and sometimes end them. He told the people that she had a knack for calming audiences down and bring them back into focus at 17 years of age. She was extremely brilliant. She loved French. It was her, fang- fa- her favorite language. And by the time she was 22 years old, she felt a deep call to go to France. And her dad said, all right, you're ready. Let me tell you about Christianity. This is a side note. Anyone who tells you it's anti-woman or it's anything except bringing women to the great and perfect place of God's will is a total lie. This is 100 years ago. This is, woman is not anything feminist or anything at all. She's a God-fearing, God-believing, following person, and she was shaking the world in her 20s. Or, amen? That's a side note. All right. 22, her and three young ladies head to Paris, France. They move into the poorest part of town, and they rent a hall that holds 600 people, which was large back then. By day, they, pe- they pass out pamphlets all day talking about the good news, and by night, they hold meetings. But of course, as you start any good work, <laughs> everything worthwhile in life is uphill. They were going horrible. They were going horrible because there were so many drunk people that would come into their meetings, they would start fights, even riots, and are singing and bar songs at the, at the best night. She had back problems that had flared up. She didn't know if she would be able to continue the work, but she persevered because God said, go. And she said, I'm a Levite. So one night, and I'm going to quote, in heaven inspiration, it was a word of knowledge from the living God. She told the drunken crowd that would always give her problems, they would come in, a bunch of men drinking, that if you will give me 20 minutes to speak to you quiet and, and, and in your seat, I will let you dance in this auditorium for 20 minutes. (laughs) That's what she told them. They said, all right. 20 minutes of riotous dancing went on. And when the 20 minutes was up, they sat down. But she didn't speak for 20 minutes. She spoke for an hour and 20 minutes, inspired and moved by the presence of God. By the time she was done, you could hear a pin drop in that 600-seat auditorium. She was standing up and echoing. There was no uh, amplification. The crowd in tears prayed the sinner's prayer. Many of them gave their life to Jesus, but one particular man stayed the entire night. It was the leader of the riotous group. He came to her and he said, I'm a hateful and angry person and I've done horrible things. Years ago, my wife and daughter were killed and I hated the world and everyone in it. But I wanted to tonight give my life to Jesus. He did. Her next salvation was a woman called, and I'm quoting, the devil's wife, Emily, who gave her life to the Lord. But back to the man. When he gave his life to the Lord, he was in a type of security uh, business or some, some kind of security. For the rest of her life there, he made sure that her And all three of those girls were protected and had meetings with no problem. That was her first salvation. 
Come on. I am telling you, faith-filled actions are the lifestyle, the lifestyle of God-seekers. Amen? Amen. Babe, we're going to get the free lunch. (laughs) No, we're not. Let's keep looking here. A couple more truths. Verse 15. We're back to Jeroboam. Why in the world does this guy who was prophesied that he would take the northern tribes, he would take the ten and the kingdom would be split, why in the world does he do something so crazy, so dumb? He grew up in a God-fearing area. He grew up with a, uh, an Ephraimite mom and, a, and, a, and understood the things of God in Israel. Then he appointed for himself, verse 15, then he appointed for himself priests for the high places. Those were the altars that they would sacrifice on, often uh, sexual things, uh, horrible things, uh, uh, baby killings, all kind of horrible, wicked things. For the demons, false religions are demonically influenced. For the demons and for the calf idols which he had made. Calf idols. Calf, what? Wait, calf idols. Where does he get all this from? Our answer is in First Chronic, excuse me, Second Chronicles, one chapter back, verse ten. Let me read one and two to you. And Rehoboam went to Shechem. We're back in time in history, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam the son of Nabat heard it. What does the next verse say? He was where? Egypt. He was in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of Saul that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. He's got a little Egyptian blood in him because he's a half-tribe of Ephraim. But he's been in Egypt for years because he was one of the leaders under Saul's Saul's kingdom, excuse me, Solomon's kingdom. But he had some rebellion issues and got kicked out and he heads to Egypt. And he's living in Egypt for years among calf worship and idol, among demonic influences. And we wonder how a man who was raised in Israel gets back and all of a sudden he's full of false gods. He's full of wickedness because he spent his life for years in Egypt and he raised his kids in Egypt and all of his sons followed him. Parents, we don't raise our children in Egypt. Amen? Don't live in Egypt. Look, we, 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 we got to go out and visit. got to go to the workplace and all that. But your close friends, they're godly. Your, your kids' closest friends, they're godly. You don't raise, you don't live in an environment of Egypt because no flesh can, no flesh can handle that. That's not good for us. So when he gets back to God's place, he's setting up all these idols. Number three on your notes. Man-centered spiritual truths is the enemy of the 21st century. A man-centered spiritual truth. This is a highly spiritual culture we live in, isn't it? Everyone's spiritual now. 20, 30 years ago, everyone's more scientific. And yes, it's still scientific, but it's actually more spiritual now. Everyone's some kind of spiritual something. But it usually, you got to look at it, look at it close. Is it man-centered or is it Christ-centered? Is it man-centered or is it Christ-centered? That's the difference. Is it man-centered or is it Christ-centered? And God will give you clear direction, and he'll know which way to go on that. Let me show you why it's such a big deal. Jeremiah 17. 
This is what it says. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 17, 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and puts his strength in flesh, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see good, not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. That's not us. We're not on a man-centered truth. You're not listening to a pastor's truth. We're listening to the eternal word of God. We're listening to transcendent truth, God's truth. Amen? That's what we live on. The person and work of Jesus, the eternal word of God that does not change. That is a good life. Listen to William Booth. We saw that picture of that girl. This is a quote from her father. The story was about Katie Booth. Here's her daddy. I consider that the chief dangers which will confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. That is a man-centered religion if you take all that out. Amen? That's not us, though. Look at someone and say, not us. Nuh-uh, that's not us. We're serving the living God. All right, one last one here. Verse 16 and 17. Let's read these together. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set, such as set their heart to seek the God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice the Lord their to sacrifice to the Lord God of who? Of their fathers. This is a foundational thing. This is a long time thing, an unchanging thing. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years because they did what? Verse 17, because they walked in the way of who? Of David and Solomon for three years. They walked in the same footsteps as David and Solomon because David walked in the same footsteps as Abraham. They walked in the same footsteps. Number four in your notes. Success is found in the foundation of our Christian faith. You knew I was going to throw that word in there. I mean, I'm going to put it in there. I would have put foundations, it just didn't make as much sense in that context. Look at what Proverbs twenty two twenty eight says. Do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set up. You walked the way Abraham did, you walked the way David did, you walked the way Solomon did, you walked the way Jesus did, you walked the way Paul did, you walked the way the disciples did. Because we saw their we see their life as a testimony, and we're gonna walk the exact same way. Success is found in the foundation of our Christian faith. Let's stand up. I left some time because we're going to proclaim our foundation. Foundation is about um, 1,800 years old, possibly older. Remember in the first century and second century Christianity, many of them were illiterate, especially the slaves that got saved. So what do you do? 
How do you bring everyone to the same place with one statement, with one short thing they can remember? We're going to do the Apostles' Creed in song form because it's so foundational. So you get to proclaim your faith. But as we do this, um, prayer team, you can come up. If anything we talked about today, spiritual covering, it's a big deal. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect you. I'm blessed because my wife sought spiritual covering. I'm only here because I sought spiritual covering throughout my life. If you need that, if you need prayer for any of that, we'll be up here. Whatever you need prayer for, as we sing this song, as we proclaim it as truth, you can come up for prayer or you can sit quietly or stand. I want you to let these truths come into your ears into your mind trickle into the deepest part of your heart and soul and when you hear these words let the spirit of the Lord that lives on the inside of you if you are a Christian let it come back out in praise to him saying yes and amen this is true let's worship the Lord if you need prayer you can come up our father everlasting the all-creating one, God
couple minutes. My wife has a scripture that dropped in her spirit. She's going to read it to you. Just as we talked a lot about spiritual covering, James 1, 16 and 17 says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And as we talked so much just about submitting to spiritual authority and not just human but even the holy spirit himself who convicts us of sin and as we choose to surrender and repent it's such a good reminder to not be deceived with other desires and things that would pull us away but the heavenly father is for us he's for our good we have authority and we submit because of he's worthy but in that because of the blessings that flow and the gifts that he gives us in that amen let's sing this one more time just that verse as a proclamation come on deep let the word soak deep into you this is our foundation this is the greatest truth reality on this planet sing it out to them I believe in God our Father proclaim it